This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. See those words, oh, ye Corinthians. It's like, uh, like I was telling you about that teacher. When he says, oh, ye Corinthians, it's like Paul is hugging every one of the Corinthians Each of the Corinthians with their disgraceful, sinful activity, including the sin of fornication with the father's wife, which Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5.1. 1 Corinthians 5.1 is reported commonly that there's fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. You know, that was Reuben's sin. That was the sin of Reuben. Genesis 35, 22, it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. So the firstborn of Jacob, Reuben, from whom came the tribe of Reuben, he was guilty of this shameful sin, fornication with his father's wife. And this was the sin of the Corinthian church. And Paul comes to them with his rebuke, but he starts off, he says, oh, ye Corinthians. See, when Paul says, oh, ye Corinthians, our heart is enlarged, he's embracing each one of them, even the ones who are guilty of fornication with the father's wife. And now is the time for each of us, if we read something like this, is to take a check on our heart. I mean, here's the check. Can we do that? Can we do what Paul did, love the sinners and make them feel that love? Or do we hate the sinners like Pastor Roger Jimenez at the Baptist Church, the Verity Baptist Church in Sacramento, who told his congregation, it's all over the YouTube, It was good that the 50 homosexuals were killed. It's sad that they weren't all killed, and the government should line them all up and kill all the homosexuals. That's not exactly Paul's heart. To have the heart of Paul is to rebuke over the sin of homosexuality, but to have an enlarged heart for the homosexuals and to love the homosexuals and to have compassion on the homosexuals and to pray for the recovery of the homosexuals. Now, Naomi... She could have taken the position of tolerance. She could have just said to Ruth, well, what does it matter if Ruth stays close by the young man and goes out with them? But that's not God's call to a separated life. See, 
A separated life means to toe the line. It means to live by God's standards. And a person can't be dedicated to God without being separated from the world. You can't do it. Separation requires discernment. It requires a discernment to be able to see what's good and what's evil. You know, this explains why so many Christians today are living non-separated lives from the world. They just don't see anything wrong with the world. It's like, what's wrong with that? They don't have, it's a lack of discernment. If a Christian doesn't have discernment to discern the evil that's in the world, then he's not going to separate himself from the world. So how do you get discernment? Okay, so let's say, okay, fine. I mean, I need discernment. How do you get discernment? Hebrews 5.12 tells us how. Hebrews 5.12. It says, for when the time, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the principles of the first oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. See, the Bible calls the word of God, it calls it the word of righteousness. And a person who is unskillful in the Bible is a person who only sees the first principles of the oracles of God, which is that Christ died for my sins, and he's still a baby. He's a baby Christian. But a person who is skillful in the word of God is a person who is a full age as a Christian, and he eats strong meat of the word of God, and this person is able to apply the word of God into their lives, as it says, who by reason of use that's applying the word of God, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. See, gaining good senses to discern the evil that's in the world works like this. The more I saturate my life with the word of God and practice the word of God by the power of the indwelling spirit of God, the more my spiritual senses become exercised and I can see what I didn't see before. I can discern both good and evil, saturation and practice, saturation and practice of the word of God. That leads a person to pray something like this. Oh, God, I want a discernment. I want a discernment of mind to see the evil in the world. I want to be separate from the world because without saturation and practice, there's no discernment of the evil that's in the world. There's no separation from the evil in the world. Learning and memorizing the word of God, that's the first step of saturation. Awana is the first step of saturation, but then there's a second step of putting the word of God into practice in the life. And then comes the discernment of evil in the world and separation from the world. Okay, now, to meet the challenge of a life of separation means to obey the prohibitions of a life of separation. It's very clear in this passage there are two prohibitions in a Christian life. The first one's in verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And the second one is in verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So the Christian life of separation demands the refusal of all binding togethers with those that are not Christians. Be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers. The illustration that God gives for this of the unequal yoke is from Deuteronomy 22.10, 
where it says, thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. In Ethiopia, all around our complex there are these fields that the Ethiopian plows. There's no tractors there. So it's all with ox plows. And there's lots of donkeys there too. There's lots of donkeys. They're used for the transportation. We call them gaudis. And, and you, you, I mean, I wouldn't sit in one. Anyway, we have one, but I'm not going to get in. But anyway, there's a back seat there, and then there's a driver. Okay, so it's like a rickshaw, only it's pulled by a donkey. Now, if you put an ox and a, and a donkey together on a yoke, you'd have absolute chaos. Nobody would ever do that. Even the Ethiopians know that. And so, because they prance differently. They have a different gait. There's no way you could keep them in step. And God's point is that the ox and the donkey are drastically distinct. They're different by their very nature. And it's, they're fundamentally incompatible. You can't put them together. They can never be brought to work together with each other. That's, that, that's the way it is between a Christian and an unbeliever. They are fundamentally distinct. They're different by their nature from each other, and therefore they're fundamentally incompatible with each other, and they can never be brought to work together. They can't work together with each other. So why should a Christian never be bound in any kind of permanent relationship with an unbeliever? Okay, why should a Christian not be bound? There's a question. Five reasons Paul gives. First, there is a standard to uphold. 2 Corinthians 6.14, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? We're talking about the standard of righteousness. What sharing is there between righteousness and lawlessness or unrighteousness? There's a standard of morality for the Christian, and it's utterly different from the immorality in the world. And boy, don't we see that today. The standard of morality that Ruth saw in the Scriptures was utterly different from the immorality of the Moabites that she came from. We only got to remember how her people, the Moabites, brought down the Israelites in Numbers 25, Numbers 25.1, where it says, and Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods, and Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. How'd that happen? Israel was led by Moab into whoredoms with the women of Moab. The moral standard in Moab was utterly incompatible with God's moral standard. And this is the first reason that there should be no lasting bond between a Christian and an unbeliever because the Christian has a moral standard to uphold. The church has been ravished by what's called today a new morality, which reduces God's absolute standards, his absolute moral standards, to relative standards. The moral standards of God, they say, depends on the situation, situational ethics. The situation determines what the standard is. There are, after all, there are certain situations in life in which I can adjust God's demands. God's standard is to abstain from fornication ordinarily. But if a situation is that a Christian is in love and then that God's demand to stay clean is watered down and and changed because of the situation. God's standard is not to divorce. But if the situation is that a Christian thinks the situation at home is not tolerable, then God's demand to not divorce is watered down because of the situation. 
But this passage here in Corinthians makes it clear that to fail to uphold God's standards of morality is to depart from the way of separation. And young people, especially I want to talk to young people, heed God's prohibitions, rise and stand to uphold God's moral standards in your life. So first of all, we see that we must live a separated life because, number one, there is a standard to uphold. Now, goes on in 2 Corinthians 6.14 when it says, what fellowship has light with darkness? A true Christian is described in Colossians 1.13 as God who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The unbeliever is described in John 3.19, the unbeliever as men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But when Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, what fellowship has light with darkness, he's describing this truth here in John 3, 19 through 20, that men love darkness. Unbelievers love darkness. I mean, have you ever, that we were talking about this at the last prayer meeting where Brother Ken was teaching about darkness, and all of a sudden, I was thinking to myself, oh, yeah, that's why they call it nightclubs, right? <laughs> I mean, what are nightclubs? A place where dark things happen, right? A place where men and women are, are met and picked up to do dark things of sexual immorality, and men love darkness because their deeds are evil. They hate the light. Neither come into the light, lest the deeds should be reproved, right? So, but true Christians are described in 1 Peter 2.9, 1 Peter 2.9, as a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our fellowship here is not a nightclub. It's a light club. (laughs) So I thought we should put a sign out. Don't go to that nightclub. Come to this light club. Why? Because of the Lord has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been called out of the nightclub of darkness into the light club of his marvelous light. And the calling of Christians is in Ephesians 5.8, for ye were sometimes darkness, you were the darkness, but now are you light, you are the light, in the Lord, walk as children of light. Walk as children of light, he says. That means we live our life sensitive to our consciousness, that God has enlightened our consciousness. The question asked in 2 Corinthians 6.14, what fellowship has light with darkness means that no Christian can live a life of separation without having a conflict with the darkness around. Now, that's what it says in 1 John 1.5. This, then, is the message that we have heard of him and declare unto you, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. So to walk in this way, to walk in this path of separation means that we are sensitive to the voice of conscience that's been illuminated by God through the Bible. So to live a sensitive life, so to to live a separated life, we must live a separated life because there is a standard to uphold, number one, And number two, because there is a conscience to listen to. Now, notice a third reason 
to not be joined with an unbeliever. In 2 Corinthians 6.15, what harmony has Christ with Belial? You know, this is the only verse in the New Testament that uses this Hebrew word, Belial. It means a person that's wicked, a person that's worthless. It represents Satan. So on one hand, we've got the Lord Jesus Christ, who is described in Acts 10.38, who went about doing good, eh? and is also described in Hebrews 7.26, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And on the other hand, we have Satan, it's described in John 8.44, a murderer from the beginning, abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so here's two masters. And we are going to have to be loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ or loyal to the devil. There's no middle ground. That's it. In Matthew 6, 24, he said, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Either a person follows Satan or he follows the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the decision that the person makes. Each person has to make that decision and face it and make it as Joshua did when he said in Joshua 24, 15, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of the, which your father served, which were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That was a decision he made. It's possible for a believer to follow Satan. It is. Ananias and Sapphira were believers. And in Acts 5.3, Acts 5.3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep part of the price of the land? Whilst it remains, was it not thine own, etc." And then, further on in Acts 5.7, it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in, and Peter answered unto her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, how is it? that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord. So it's possible for a believer to follow Satan. Peter followed Satan in Matthew 16, 21. Matthew 16, 21, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ is the same as having a life of separation. And we must have a life of separation because one, there's a standard to uphold. Two, there's a conscience to listen to. And three, there's a master to obey. Now, we go on and we see in verse 15, what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? See, what part? Greek, it means throw in your lot with. He cannot have a part with. So our witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a witness that's far more important than any friendship we have with any other person. Our witness is far more important than us being known as a good guy or somebody who doesn't rock the boat. Our witness is far more important than making money. Our witness is paramount. Our witness is to be preserved. 
There's a witness for us to be preserved. Therefore, we must live a separated life so that our light is not dimmed and so the truth is not diluted. So we must live a separated life because one, we have a standard to uphold. Two, we have a conscience to listen to. Three, we have a master to obey. And four, we have a witness to preserve, a witness to preserve. Now, there's a fifth reason that we have to live a separated life, and that's given to us in verse 16. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The highest activity that we have on earth is to worship and honor God. I mean, that's the supreme purpose of our lives. It's our highest purpose is to have this friendship with God. And so down through the ages, Satan has worked to destroy man's friendship with God. I mean, that's what he did in the garden. And the Garden of Eden was he was destroying the friendship between God and man. That's what he did in the days of the tabernacle when they built the calf. That's what they did during the temple days, started to sell and so forth. It was on and on through Scripture is that we see that, that there is this continual effort by Satan to destroy the friendship that man has with God. But that's man's highest purpose in life, to have friendship with God. So the highest statement of friendship with God is in this verse 16. You are the temple of the living God. God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God. They shall be my people. This is the fifth reason to live a separated life, because there is a friendship to maintain. This is the supreme purpose of man. This friendship with God is destroyed when we allow anything to come into our lives that grieves him, that comes between us and our God, as it says in Isaiah 59.2. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from him, so he will not hear. And Ephesians 4.30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. So to not live a separated life is to destroy our friendship with God. To not live a separated life ruins a life of prayer. It makes us lazy as Christians, and it takes our attention away from God. But we have to live. We must live a separated life and not be unequally yoked because, one, we have a standard to uphold. Two, we have a conscience to listen to. Three, we have a master to obey. Four, we have a witness to preserve. And five, we have a friendship to maintain more purpose to fulfill. Those are the five reasons that why we must live a separated life and not be unequally yoked. But now let's think about that, that statement in verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked. What does it mean to us in our lives? What are the ways in which we must not be unequally yoked in our lives? Let's bring this attention, let's let's bring this prohibition of being not unequally yoked right off the page of Scripture, right down to where we, you and I live. It may be that there are some associations in our lives right now that we have to cut. We have to cut out of our lives if we're going to go through with God on this message. And so first and foremost, to be unequally yoked means in marriage. Being not unequally yoked with unbelievers in marriage. The scripture is very clear that a believer is not to become unequally yoked with a non-believer 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.